Only Mary can help us in this situation. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. Time for episode 198 of the Barnhart Podcast. Today is the Feast of the Little Flower, and we're going to discuss some things that uh, probably aren't so fresh happening in Rome. And uh, I don't have the outline for that, so let's go to Dr. Ed for that. Thank you, uh, Super Nerd. Um, Well, (laughs) we are less than 24 hours away from the Sin Nod on uh, Sin, and there's lots we could talk about. Um, There was the statement by Archbishop Vigano that was supposed to have been... uh, well, there's a whole controversy over that. But at the Catholic Identity Conference over the weekend, sponsored by the Remnant, uh, Archbishop Vigano was supposed to be a speaker, and he l- released a video, uh, which uh, Anne posted. We could talk about that because he basically comes out and says that Bergoglio is not the Pope. Uh, you'd think that would have dominated the headlines yesterday. But what did dominate the headlines were new dubia. Uh, there are now seven dubia brothers. Uh, <laughs> Cardinal Doobie Burke. Dooby doo. <laughs> <laughs> Which dooby dooby? Um, but <laughs> and of course that got all the attention. Plus uh, Bergoglio's responses to. A, 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 you know, I guess. Well, it's I, wait, I have to stop you right there. Yeah. It wasn't Bergoglio responding. It was Tucho ah. Fernandez's responses. <laughs> we'll well, get into of, that. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that, exactly. Um, and uh, I guess we could also throw into the mix, uh, there was another response to a dubia by a Czech uh, car, uh, bishop, was it? Duca? Uh, about yes. Morris Letizia and its implementation. So uh, there's lots of stuff on the, on the on the agenda. And we just did a podcast five days ago. <laughs> yeah, lots <laughs> happening. A lot is happening. It's happening and it's happening fast. Um, where should we start? Let's start with the with the Vigano video situation and that <laughs> that mess. <laughs> uh, what what's the backstory on this? So the remnant has the Catholic Identity Conference in Pittsburgh over this past weekend. Um, Archbishop Vigano is touted as having you know a a thing a slot, um, and I, I guess they were going to attempt to do a Zoom, um, and then he Archbishop Vigano sent instead a speech with transcript the whole nine. And Mike Matt released a video and said, I went through and I didn't watch the video, but I skimmed the transcript and it got into quote unquote set of acantism and all that. And I said, I can't use this. So yeah, you, you have a, a gathering of, of, you know, what's literally calling yourselves the remnant faithful, you know, good name, good name. And uh, an archbishop of the church comes out and says that this guy isn't the pope, and that's no, we we no, no, we're we can't have anything to do with that. Oh no! And it, his and what Mike Matt said is his his rationale is that well, this is all about unity. This is all about unity. And what I my response to that would be 
is that unity at the cost of the fullness of the truth is subordinating Christ basically to human respect at that point. Unity can only be in the truth, in the fullness of the truth. If you're talking about unity for unity's sake, um, and we're willing to, you know, just glaze over and ignore and not talk about and not investigate and not think about what is in fact the fullness of the truth, what you're talking about now is not the unity that is that is called for in the gospels and and in the in the holy scriptures what you're talking about is human respect and that's that's where i think it goes off the rails gentlemen he had three themes that he repeated over and over and again in that you know four or five minute video uh, or tweet um one was unity and he stressed that that's and i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on something here in a minute but he stressed over and over again that he felt that he couldn't share the video because there was such a sense of unity at this two or three day conference and everybody was, you know, probably patting themselves on the back and or each other on the back at the end of it and ended on a real good note of uh, holy hope, I'd say, after being together like that, as you know, we feel that that have that same sense uh, in a number of different ways. So in a sense, that's all well and good, but I had the same thought, and the first thing I thought of as he's ranting about unity is, in union with what? In union with what, exactly? I mean, goodness gracious, what, 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 what joy is there in that? You're in union with Bergoglio and you're happy about it? Something's, something's not right there. Second point, no, and not only not only merely happy about it, but like militant that everyone else has has to get on that bandwagon. And you you have to be in union with this guy, who we all agree is not Catholic, is an arch heresiarch, is evil, et cetera, et cetera. But but you have to be in union with him, and you can't even ask any questions about it. And so now you've got you actually do have a prelate coming out and saying. Okay, look, and making, and I have to say, Vigano made, he made good arguments, but <laughs> just to keep beating this horse, because apparently it hasn't been beaten hard enough, getting into all these questions about whether or not Bergoglio is a heretic, it's completely unnecessary. Um, it's obvious that he's, a, that he's a heretic, first of all, but that's not, that's not the crux of the problem. The root of the problem is the fact that Pope Benedict never validly resigned. And so, d didn't Vigano say that even even if uh, uh, a saintly holy man had been had been elected, or am I getting my um, am I getting my speeches and my wires crossed? Did Vigano say that, that even if you elected a holy man, that it still it still wouldn't he still wouldn't be the pope? If you had elected Cardinal Burke or something, you know, just as an example, wouldn't matter. He'd still be an anti-pope because you can't have you can't have two popes at the same time. You can't have the prayer, the prayerful contemplative pope and the active governance of the church pope. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's just been so much information; it's all scrambling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also doesn't help that his speech is a jumbled mess and and doesn't yeah. you know he could he could do it in a way that you know with linear progression that would be so much cleaner and clearer, but. Um, uh, Italians don't do that. They're not into that at all. They're, they, in fact, they're the Italians and their rhetorical style is the more 
convoluted and swirling and spiraling and long-winded it is, the better it is. You must be smarter if it takes you, if you can say, if you can take two hours to say what could be said in 90 seconds, that's just proof of your dazzling intellect. And it's a big problem with the, with the Italian Academy, both secular and religious. And the Germans are similar, but it's all one word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's finish so we up with the, with the Michael Matt video, if we could. Go ahead, Dr. Matza. Uh, yeah, uh, just to, to put a uh, finishing touch on this. Um, so we will be providing in the show notes uh, Archbishop Vigano's video plus the website that has the text of his uh, mm -hmm. video. And this is what he says apropos of what you were just saying, Anne. Uh, without saying that the very co-presence of a renouncing pope and a reigning pope is already in itself an element that leads us to believe that they had a false concept of the essence of the papacy, considered to be a role that can be shared with others. So mm -hmm. without saying substantial error, that's what he, when he says essence of the papacy, yeah. that's like substance of the papacy. He's substance, saying substance, yeah. yeah. Substantial error is what he's talking about uh, via Canon 188, uh, which we have talked about in the past. Uh, I don't know if, well, let me just finish his sentence. Uh, let us not forget that the distinction between munis and ministerium is mm -hmm. arbitrary and that there cannot be a pope who dedicates himself to the quote-unquote ministry of prayer and another one who governs. Christ is one, the church is one, and there is only one successor of Peter. A body with two heads is a monstrum that is repugnant to nature even before the divine constitution of the church. Amen. Yeah, that's solid. That's very, very solid, so. Yeah, and and he goes into they, detail. They, go ahead. Um, he goes into detail regarding the uh, the substantial error applying to both men, uh, Benedict in whatever he did in his resignation, and Bergoglio in what he was assenting to when he accepted the nomination of the cardinals. So I, I don't want to muddy the waters either. But this concept that he's bringing out, I, I think I'm hearing it for the first time. I think, Dr. Matze, you said that uh, somebody else had, had brought this up as well, but that uh, if we forget about the invalid resignation for a moment, if Bergoglio was assenting to not leading the Catholic Church, if he had malicious intent at the moment of his acceptance, he was assenting well, to something course. entirely different. Think about that. Yeah, he was he was I mean, assenting to destroy the, to the the true church. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I would put this under the general category header of so the Bergoglio argument is secondary. It's obviously secondary to um, to the question of the resignation. The resignation is is the base. It's the root. It's the heart of everything. But as with all of this other garbage with Bergoglio, 
you've got all of these other data sets and you know my new favorite word of all time consilience when all of your data streams coming into a question coming into a logical truth table situation when they all lead to exactly the same conclusion um that in and of itself that body that the consistency the continuity within a logical framework is is indicative in and of itself and so i think that's what that secondary argument about what exactly was bergoglio agreeing to be and he was he was agreeing to be and he said this himself he was agreeing to be the vector of schism who would destroy the church and the papacy from the inside out. And they've been fairly obvious about this. I mean, the, the St. Gallen Mafia and these Sodomite um, uh, infiltrators have been talking openly about the fact that um, we don't need a new church, we just need a different church. They, they, they say this openly. Okay, well, <laughs> You're you're admitting your crime here, and nobody has nobody has the stones to do anything about it. It's just all of this effeminate. There's nothing we can do. All we can do is sit around and wait for him to die, and all all of this lying, ridiculous, anti-biblical, um, anti-historical agitprop. Bergoglio himself, very early on, said, "I may well be the one to go down in history as the one to schism the church." which is literally impossible for a true pope to do. Yep. Exactly, and who is it right now? Um, Father Father Wynandi, I, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Um, Father, Father Z has a post up about him right now. Father Wynandi is the guy who, who wrote this essay saying, well, Bergoglio is the pope, but he's in schism with himself. Again, this is, this is just, this is garble babble. This is this is silliness. This is violation of the law of non-contradiction on the most obvious level. The Pope is in his person, is himself, the principle of unity and the standard of schism. If you are the principle of unity and the standard of schism, it is therefore mathematically, logically, ontologically impossible for you to be in schism with yourself. Only if you're an individual, not if you're legion. Mm. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's another preternatural question. Um, but the other thing that Wynandi I think said was that uh, Bergoglio is the Pope, but he's in schism with the papacy. Again, this is just word salad garble flaffle. It makes it makes no sense. It's people just trying to vomit out rhetoric trying to square this this circle which obviously cannot be squared and they just keep trying and trying and trying and uh, it's i i mentioned the term a few minutes ago human respect i think it you have to circle back around to human respect and of course everything everything that's corollary to human respect for example, you know, jobs, careers, donations, um, things like that, and that's the problem here. So, the main the main argument that Trad Inc. has been giving for why, for example, one Peter five won't publish, uh, or Crisis Magazine won't publish uh, a piece by you or me uh, arguing 
about the invalidity of Pope Benedict's resignation is they claim that a, a pope, a putative pope, Francis, who has been universally and peacefully accepted by all the cardinals, is unquestionably pope, no matter what <laughs> hooliganism happened up to that point. And Archbishop Vigano uh, addresses this issue, as we did just a handful of days ago on the Barnhard podcast, where yours mm -hmm. truly brought up the historical example of St. Catherine of Siena writing to the cardinals who universally and peacefully had accepted Clement VII as pope, but who we now know was a flaming anti-pope, uh, and that Pope Urban was the real pope. Well, lo and behold, what did Archbishop Vigano say um, as part of his talk? He says, quote, Bishop Athanasius Schneider maintains that any irregularities that may have occurred in the 2013 conclave have in any case been healed in Radice by the fact that Jorge Mario Bergoglio has been recognized as Pope by the Cardinal electors, by the Episcopate, and by the majority of the faithful. Uh, practically speaking, the argument is that regardless of the events that may have led to the election of a Pope, with or without external meddling in it, the Church, practically speaking, places a time limit beyond which it is not possible to challenge an election if the person elected is accepted by the Christian people. But this thesis is called into question by historical precedent. In 1378, after the election of Pope Urban VI, the majority of cardinals, prelates, and the people recognized Clement VII as Pope, even though he was in reality an anti-Pope. In fact, 13 out of the 16 cardinals questioned the validity of the election of Pope Urban due to the threat of violence from the Roman people against the Sacred College, and even Urban's few supporters immediately retracted their election, convoking a new conclave at Fondi, which elected the anti-Pope Clement VII. Uh, even St. Vincent Ferrer was convinced that Clement was the real Pope, while St. Catherine of Siena sided with Urban. If universal consensus were an indefectibly valid argument for a Pope's legitimacy, Clement would have had the right to be considered the true Pope rather than Urban. Uh, thus, we see that the universal acceptance argument does not withstand the test of history. Amen. Yep. So, okay, everybody, everybody, start your stopwatches. Two, two things that could start happening here. Um, you might have people now starting to make the argument that Catherine of Siena was wrong and that Clement VII actually was the Pope. Now, I, you think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. They're gonna, this is, a, this is a textbook maneuver of trying to rewrite history. So they're gonna go back and they're gonna, and they, I bet you at some point, somebody's gonna write something and at least make the argument that, that they were wrong and that Clement the Seventh wasn't an anti-Pope and that Catherine of Siena was wrong. And then the logical corollary after that is wait for it, they're gonna start going after Catherine of Siena herself. Well, that she wasn't even actually a Dominican. She was just a third order. She only wore the habit because she got special permission. She was illiterate. 
Are, 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 seriously, are we? Are, are, oh, come on! This is this is silly. We're gonna we're gonna actually believe that some illiterate little uh, Dominican third order running around in in a habit was was right about this, and 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 everybody else in the church. Watch for them to start going after her. Watch for them to start going after her because it's inevitable. You, you basically have to. If you want to defend this position, you're going to have to start going after her. Then the other thing that you just mentioned in your quote, Dr. Matza, is this notion that, that again, this is Bishop Schneider just making stuff up. There's a time limit? What, what, where is he getting that? If, if that's true, what is the time limit? I need a number. I also need to know if this time limit, if we go along with something that is wrong, illegal, invalid, illicit, whatever it is, untrue, something that's false, if we go along with this for whatever this magical made-up time limit is, and that ratifies it, and that, it, that then transforms it and makes it legitimate, makes it true, um, I have a question. Does that also apply to, to marriages? I mean, if you've got a couple who uh, one or both of them uh, was, was sacramentally married, um, they got civilly divorced, but then they got, they got remarried and they've been together for 50 years. And the entire world, the government, everybody, everybody has acknowledged publicly that these people are married to each other. Well, does that make it true? Do they have, okay, so they've been together for 50 years, they have nothing they need to repent of. There's nothing wrong there. But does, does this apply to marriages? This is a serious question. If you're gonna argue, because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If there's this time limit that, that sanates erroneous illegal actions, illicit actions, um, and that applies to the vicariate of Christ on earth, that Christ Jesus, after this magical time point, will then say, okay, yeah, I'm going to give this guy the keys of the kingdom now, because, well, you know, everybody's just gone along with it for long enough, then, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, does he also then magically marry people who are not validly married to each other? Baptisms. And if so, say, uh, say again? Baptisms are baptisms that are invalid, magically mm. made valid at some point in the future. I have, there's a case right down the road with me, a uh, diocesan parish, not three miles from me, that had been performing invalid baptisms for decades. Yeah. This was only found out last year. Did yep. the diocese proclaim that, well... That was 30 years ago. So surely all yeah. those baptisms are valid now. No, 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 no. No. They nope. all have to be redone. Yep. So th there is a, a ray of hope in uh, what, so we'll, we'll include this in the show notes too. Uh, Michael Mott issued a video explaining his decision not to show the video of Archbishop Vigano at the conference, which Mark summarized earlier. Uh, the ray of hope is that he said, he basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, I, I, I'm friends with Archbishop Vigano. I've got nothing against him personally. I'm going to read what he said. I think it's interesting. Uh, and maybe we can 
discuss it in the remnant. Maybe we can have a discussion about this. But it wasn't right to do it uh, at the conference, uh, especially because of the presence of Bishop Strickland. So let me say two things here. The first one is is that perhaps now there is no excuse left for, for, for everybody not to address the issue. Okay, if, 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 the, if the timing was the problem, well, now we can address the issue. Right? It's, the issue is not the problem. We can finally address the elephant in the living room, allegedly. Let, let's see if they hold their end of the bargain on this. But the other thing is regarding Bishop Strickland, so what is he, a human shield now? <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't discuss this because, oh, they'll get rid of Bishop Strickland because he's, the same thing happened with uh, Patrick Coffin, my friend Patrick Coffin. Uh, they, he had this uh, online symposium and Bishop Strickland was a speaker. And then afterwards, people brought out that, you know, Patrick does not believe that Bergoglio is the Pope. He believes Benedict was the rightful Pope. And they tried to tar and feather um, Bishop Strickland with that. And Bishop Strickland comes out with a tweet that says, no, I, I believe Francis is Pope, but I'm against his, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, his, his, his program of destroying the church or something like that, attacking the dogmas of the faith, um, which some people say is what got him in hot water and led to his visitation by the Vatican. Anyway, my point is this. Regardless of all of this, um, Bergoglio's Vatican is going to do in, uh, as much as we hate to see it, uh, they're going to do in Bishop Strickland regardless of whether or not he appears at a conference with someone who thinks that Benedict was the rightful pope. It, it's, it's, you, can't, you can't negotiate with, uh, with terrorists. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous, and it's a, it's a function of how far culture has fallen um, in the 20th century in the West. Um, you know, war is hell and war is, is terrible, but there's hardly anybody left uh, among, you know, executive-aged men who actually have any genuine experience of war. I mean, the fact that the United States hasn't declared war since um, since World War II, um, you know, there was, obviously, there's no denying that the Korean War was, was very, very much a war, and those guys are all very, very much war veterans. But the Korean War was 70, 70 years ago right now. It was the early 1950s. Um, there's Vietnam veterans, even those guys are getting to be, you know, beyond age. This, this whole notion that if, if somebody attacks you, you can't defend yourself and heaven forfend, you should even entertain the thought of fighting back because if you fight back, they might attack you even more and be even meaner. I mean, it's just, it's the most feminine avoidance tactics. Um, and, and it's, it's disgraceful. You know, there's an old saying, um, let, if war is to come, let it be in my day so that my children are spared it. And what we see now is this across the board phenomenon, phenomenon in both the church and the secular realm everywhere, where the only tactic, the only method anybody is willing to discuss or entertain is kicking the can down the road to generations sufficiently far forward that th that the person kicking the can down the road is guaranteed to be dead already. 
I mean, that that is where we are now. That is peak post-Christian Western masculinity dumping everything off on your children and grandchildren because you're too much of a squish to stand and fight. And it makes me very, very angry. Well, to say nothing of the fact that he's bowing to someone who has no authority and proclaiming again and again that he believes that Bergoglio is Pope and will abide by any, you know, he said he won't step down voluntarily, but if there is a canonical trial or, uh, you know, decision made by the lawful means, then he will submit to being removed. Well, there's so many things wrong with that. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. First of all, you're, but, you're, you know, we need to say these things. It needs to be on the record. So you start and then. Okay. I'll say Dr. one Matson thing. And I will, you're, will continue. <laughs> so you're even setting aside the false authority. So you're, you're good with canonically putting yourself in the hands of Marxists who by definition don't care what the rules are. And yeah, if they're out to get you, they're going to get you. It doesn't matter you know how much time goes by if that's their aim they're they're going to do it so you're really just setting yourself up yeah i mean they've they've pre-announced and made it very clear that they will cheat they will lie cheat steal and um but but heaven forfend that you that you don't toe the line. I mean, this is isn't this the Linsky tactics? I mean, hold hold the enemy to their own to their own uh, rule book. I believe that's one of the Alinsky uh, points. I mean, you you lie, cheat, and steal, and you get you get your objectives achieved by whatever means necessary. But hold your enemy to their own rule book, and there these these people are just falling right into this. Um, and and it's and it's also it's twistedly ironic because if our side actually would abide by the law and actually would look at canon law and abide by it the the answer to all of this is right there on a on a silver platter with a big ribbon on it you know oh, that's there's a great the point. canon law saying he didn't resign it's right there you're, be, you're being held to your own rule book which you yourself are too effeminate to even go by. It's, 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 you couldn't make this up. You couldn't write this as fiction in a thousand years. And so this is why Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Seurat, Cardinal Brand Mueller, Cardinal Zen, uh, a new Cardinal who I had never heard of before. Um, Mexican from Cardinal. A, he's a reti yeah, retired Mexican Cardinal. That's why they got together and sent these dubia to someone who occupies, who has occupied the chair of Peter, uh, but who, uh, Bigano uses scare quotes. He, he literally in the video, he used scare quotes when he referred to him as Pope. Yeah. Um, because they are under this misimpression. Um, that's, maybe this is a segue into uh, these dubia. Well, the, th the thing about the dubia is exactly the same as with the first round. Um, <laughs> Bergoglio is never going to answer them, A, because if he does, then he exposes himself as, a, as an arch heretic and 
<laughs> I mean, they're they're not being particularly subtle about it anymore. But he doesn't he doesn't want to, or he didn't want to earlier in the game. How many years has it been now since the first round? Um, five, six, close to seven years. I I can't I can't even keep track anymore. Um, but he didn't want to show his hand as being just an a flagrant arch heretic because then people would start asking questions about you know papal infallibility etc cetera, etc cetera, and would say this guy isn't even catholic but um so he's never going to answer because of that but also what i think is is more important and more beautiful is exactly having to do with the infallible dogma of papal infallibility he's not going to answer because he's not the pope it is for the pope to answer dubia and bergoglio was not the pope and so this is the divine providence at work making this visible um it's subtle this is one of those things with you know that like the scripture says those with eyes to see let them see and ears to hear let them hear that that's that's what this is bergoglio is an answering a dubia submitted to the vicar of christ on earth because he can't because he's not the vicar of christ on earth and so now what we have i mean i was literally sitting <laughs> and howling with laughter because you know as the title of episode 196 or whatever it was is you either laugh or take hostages at this point so where we are in the church right now where nobody's allowed to ask any questions and don't you dare even entertain any thoughts that maybe Francis isn't the Pope. <laughs> Here's where we are now. You have this sodomite groomer who writes these grooming books of homoerotica for, for teenagers and kids. This is Tucho Fernandez, who is Bergoglio's ghostwriter and had been since even before uh, Bergoglio usurped. So all the way back to Argentina. Okay, so this guy is Bergoglio's ghostwriter. <laughs> Tucho Fernandez writes Amoris Letizia, which is just, it's breathtakingly stupid and it's heresy eight ways from Sunday. And they named it, they named it consciously in classical Latin, Amoris Laetitia translates into the exuberance of sodomy. They're, and they're just laughing at everybody. It's a satanic manifestation. They're laughing at everybody. Okay, so you've got this document. Now we have cardinals submitting dubia to an anti-pope who's talking about blessing sodomy, literally blessing sodomites and their sodomitical actions in say. Okay, so we've got, this is just unbelievable farce. Cardinal submitting dubia to an anti-pope who is trying to ratify sodomy. Then Tucho Fernandez, as, as the anti-pope's ghostwriter, is writing responses to these dubia in which, and this, this is the laugh line, in which he cites himself. He's citing himself in Amoris Laetitia. That's where we are now. That's how much of a farce this is. The notion that you can't even lift up your hand and say, excuse me, I think there might be something wrong here, is, is a testament to just 
the the blindness of the people and we talked about this this in the last episode and i don't think we need to beat that horse again but the notion that tucho tucho fernandez is being presented as as presenting magisterium of the one holy catholic and apostolic church and citing himself as magisterial i mean just stop and think about this and how catastrophically stupid it is and what a scandal it is that nobody will will even ask the question hey is there maybe something wrong here dismount soapbox well yeah so he did write a response to the dubia uh tucho did and you could have lifted it right out of amoris I mean, it's exactly the well, same yeah. style and reasoning, or you know, reasoning. Ha ha. But uh, ha ha. There the aren't any answer answers. D- discernment. Right. More discernment right. is needed. There's no More yes or no is needed. Ugh. No yes or no answers, which is how dubia need to be answered. Uh, yes or yeah. no, and then the explanation. In his response, it's well, maybe. It depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all into. Uh, just uh, it depends on the situation and there needs to be discernment and there needs to be accompaniment. And well, if we do the same sex blessings, it's really out of the, you know, concern for human individual human dignity that, uh, that the church now recognizes that it formerly did not. So they're going to try to twist it into, well, we're not really blessing sodomy. We're blessing individual souls something like that (laughs) and then bergoglio well no it's not bergoglio it's it's tucho fernandez but it's saying yes you you have the discretion you know again not answering yes or no questions which is what exactly what dubia are they're yes or no questions they have to be answered with a yes or no Tucho Fernandez coming back and saying, well, it's up to the discretion of the individual priest. So it's it's just all of this chaos of the of the synodal church that everybody do whatever you want. It's rule by mob. Uh, the whole thing is democracy. Let's put everything up for a vote. Um, this is and Americanism absolutely plays into this 100%, you know, long ball. This is all satanic and Satan plays very, very, very long ball. And of the Americanist uh, poison of the fact that you can, you can uh, vote and decide on what is true and what is not true. And they're just kicking it, oh, well, leave it up. It's up to the discretion of the individual priest to do what he wants. This is the chaos, this is the Luciferian satanic chaos that they want in order to destroy the church. This, all this synodal garbage, people are talking about, well, oh, what, what if they call a Vatican III and they try, to, they try to actually codify all this? Folks, this is Vatican III. They're not gonna call an ecumenical council. Well, first of all, they can't because right now the sea is vacant, so, um, not not in this epoch is there going to be any any ecumenical council called because that's impossible because there's no pope to call it um um but (laughs) the the whole notion that that they even would they don't need to this is it you're living through it right now the entire objective is that there isn't going to be any any 
centralized, much less monarchical aspect to the church, it's all just going to be the mob. And, and you're seeing the results of that, and we're in the relatively early days of it. You're going to have the mob. Well, it's even worse than democracy, right? Because it's coming down to individual conscience, no matter how that conscience is formed. So you're going to have individual, and they, they say right in the, um, I think it's in the, in the answer to the dubia, but it's certainly in other documents, that they don't want any of this codified. They don't want it written down. Yeah. Yeah. They want it literally to be chaos in the streets. Yep. And everything Absolutely. is an end. Yep. Yep. And this this is this ties into the fact with this with the beginning of this synod. Um, I don't know if a hundred percent of the listenership is aware of this, but Bergoglio declared that it was one. It will be one hundred percent closed press. There will be no. There will be no press presence internally the only thing that we will know about or hear about is official uh, press releases that the vatican slash anti-church makes about about what went on so you're it's it's this uh, oh syn synodality and walking together and then just slam the doors and everything is secret and everything is behind closed doors well that's to prevent it from being poisoned by ideology as if these people aren't the quintessence of I ideologues i mean it's again it cannot it's it's fiction that is so bad it is farce that is so bad that it couldn't be written excuse me it, it it's not fiction it's farce that's so bad that it couldn't be written as fiction in a thousand years and people are falling for it and in terms of this uh loosey-goosey everybody does their own thing uh, uh response that uh, tuccio also responded thusly to uh cardinal duca from the Czech Republic on the question of admittance to the Eucharist for a Catholic divorced from his or her sacramentally married spouse but civilly remarried to another. Uh, Cardinal Fernandez wrote that while priests should provide pastoral accompaniment to the individual, quote, it is each person individually mm -hmm. who is called to put himself before God and expose his conscience to him with both its possibilities and its limits and evaluate their disposition to receive. Quote, this conscience accompanied by a priest and enlightened by the guidelines of the church is called to be formed to evaluate and give a sufficient judgment to discern the possibility of accessing the sacraments. So that's, this is how they're getting around Veritati's splendor. You know, this is how they're mm -hmm. getting around the gospel. Uh, by uh, taking uh, a general truth of the church, which is that, you know, conscience, an informed conscience is what we're supposed to follow, but they, they exaggerate it for their own evil uh, ends here. Well, let me hasten to remind one and all of the credo of the, of the Church of Satan. The credo of the Church of Satan is very short. It's not like, you know, our Nicene Creed or anything like that. It's one sentence. And that sentence is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Now, tell me, tell me that what Tucho Fernandez, Bergoglio, all of these infiltrator apostate wretches, tell me 
that what they're doing isn't Satanism, isn't exactly precisely that. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. The, the primacy of the uninformed, ill-formed, non-formed human conscience as the primacy of everything. Well, if you have someone who's been in, a, in an invalid marriage for 50 years, well, what do you think? Do you feel like you're married? What, what do you want? What do you, well, what do you think they're going to say? At that point, you're, you're playing and manipulating on people's, on people's, frankly, base appetites at that point. Um, yeah, is it, is it really hard? to say, wow, I've, I've been in a, in a long-term quote-unquote marriage that it turns out was invalid, and it's really important that both of us, before we die, that we repent of this and we, we remedy this situation. It's, it's a lot easier for people to just not do that and for people to, to delude themselves into saying, I and my conscience, in the, in the, in the deepest depths of my conscience, I have discerned that I actually am married and God is 100% on board with this. Well, of course, that's what the vast, vast, vast majority of people, especially in the 2023, especially with the state of the world as it is, with the state of the church as it is, with the total lack of catechesis, and frankly, with the total lack of faith, um, of course, that's what people are going to do. They're just going to say, oh, yeah, my, my husband and I, we've discerned that this is all fine. God's on board. We're totally married. My conscience is fine with it. My conscience is supreme. Do what, th do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And Satan laughs and squeals with delight. And it, it really does go back to Satan. And, and uh, yes. you know, Michael Mott brought up the word satanic that this, you know, unfortunate thing that put the kibosh on the conference was satanic. The, the, but he was referring the, to people like us, right? <laughs> well, I mean, he was referring specifically to you, Anne, but... <laughs> well, huzzah! <laughs> you haven't made it until you've been referred to as satanic, I guess. So well, that, that's, that was goodness. the second point that I wanted to break up, uh, bring up about his, his little video that he did was three times... He called those who would, um, you know, say say have some harsh words for him for not showing the video, or even if we're going to dice words, saying that he censored the video. Maybe we should have said what that he suppressed it. And I totally get his <laughs> his reasoning. Well, because truly it wasn't censored. I mean, it was immediately available on multiple outlets. So it's not as if his actions censored the speech because it was immediately out. Well, it was immediately available on Archbishop Vigano's YouTube channel, which I then posted. I mean... Right, right. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that he, th he three times uh, said that the sources that were... Um, that had some harsh words for the suppression of the video were coming from satanic forces. Like, dude, that's, seriously. Come on, come on, Mike. You're better than that. You know better than that, goodness. And the, and the third thing that, and, and I'll, this is my last point on, on Michael Matt. He th also, more than three times, referred to us uh, with this set of acantist um, using set of a cantist as a slur, 
Yeah. Which multiple people yeah. have done now. And, you know, I... And I, for, for the listenership who may be new, let me let me explain to you what it is that we're getting at here. So there's a there's a chunk of people in the world today who have gone off, you know, in the ditch on on one side of the road who think that there hasn't been a pope since 1958 when Pius XII died. Okay, so this we're talking about 65 years ago and no pope. And so and these people have have uh, have generated quite quite a bit of a bad reputation for themselves. Um, it's it's not healthy. Although you know, I've I've said that <laughs> at this point, the 1958 set of arguments are far far more rational and logical. They're wrong. They're wrong, but they're far more rational and logical than the argument that Bergoglio is the Pope, shut up, stupid. I mean, at, at this point, the argument that Bergoglio is the Pope is just imbecility of the highest order. Um, you know, if you if you could find, and there are, there are, there are 1958 set of a can of goodwill, who it would be absolutely wonderful to sit down at dinner, you know, open a bottle of wine, and you could have an absolutely fascinating and dynamic conversation you know, and steel sharpens steel, and it's always good to have these these rhetorical exchanges. The problem is that a lot of these people, because they're off into air, and a lot of them, sadly, have have voluntarily cut themselves off from the holy mass and from the sacraments, because it's a it's a spiral. It just keeps going down and down and down until you become convinced that there are no validly ordained priests left anywhere in the world except the one the one priest who you are a cult like follower of, and he's the only one. And but he lives on the other side of the world, so you can't go to mass and because there is no valid mass according to them, a lot of these people and you can't go to confession because there is no valid absolution according to a lot of these people and people who think they're married actually aren't married and and it's just it turns into this just hellscape and they also you know painting with a broad brush uh, the the accusation could be made here but i'm still going to bring this up there's a lot of just really weirdly bad behavior amongst them to the point where people just they just it's it's standoffish it's repugnant and i don't i don't want to be i don't want to you know get down into into that mud um but the the point is when they're calling us sedvacantus that you say well ann you've got a thing right there on your website you have a counter that says uh 276 days since the petrine sea became vacant as i'm sitting here and we're recording this um so you you yourself said the petrine sea is vacant yes there is a massive, massive difference, and you're dishonest if you deny this, between the position that the, the Petrine Sea has been vacant for the now 276 days since Pope Benedict died, and the notion that there hasn't been a Pope for 65 years. And that the mother of God never said a word about any of this. There's absolutely nothing in, in Holy Scripture indicating that there would be a period in a massive generations. We're now like two generations. If you call a generation 30 years, we're now two generations, according to these people, where 
the the body and bride of Christ has no head on earth. There has been no principle of unity and no standard of schism on earth for two generations. Um, and, and the mother of God who came and warned all of us that there would be mass apostasy from the top, that there would be all of these horrible things that, that were going to happen unless humanity straightened out, and humanity definitely did not straighten out, Never once did she say anything, even remotely indicating that, oh, hey guys, by the way, there also isn't going to be any earthly head of the church for generations. Didn't say a word about that. Isn't, isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting? So what they've done is now they're, they're trying to take Mark, Dr. Matza, super nerd, myself, anybody else, and you know, what is it that the 65, 70% of pew sitters uh, in traditional Latin mass communities in the Anglosphere, it's, it's two thirds easily, who share our position that Pope Benedict never validly resigned, and now that he's dead, the see has been vacant, they're trying to paint us as being exactly the same thing as the people who think that there hasn't been a pope for two generations, 65 years. It is fundamentally dishonest. And for me, it's a huge red flag. You just run that red flag up the pole, baby, because when you engage in that sort of mendacious, dishonest, manipulative agitprop, trying to, in these Alinsky-type shady ways, smear uh, people on the other side of an argument from you, that tells me that there's something very, very wrong. You can't argue. You can't argue the canon law. You can't argue the evidence. You can't argue the logic. You can't argue anything. So the only thing you can try to do is attempt to smear us. This has been going on. This has been going on for years and years, even when Pope Benedict was very much alive. They were trying to call a set of acantus. Like, what are you talking about? The entire, the entire crux of our argument is that the sea is occupied. What are you talking about, we're said Vacantas? Because they're just trying to dump this political football, and it's an ugly political football, on all of us, saying, well, now you're exactly the same thing. And you know what's interesting? The 1958 Sedvacantus themselves, well, I've gotten taunting emails from some seriously creepy, creepy Sedvacantus. Some of them are, are quite well known, um, saying, ha, as soon as Pope Benedict was, was announced dead, ha ha, you're one of us now. Well, no, you think there hasn't been a Pope since, 1960, since uh, 1958. I think that there hasn't been a Pope for... Um, 14 hours, you know, I mean, it was, it was literally, it was literally that fast. And the fact that the 58 set of Acantus will engage in exactly that same manipulative, manipulative, mendacious attempt uh, at smearing us with their political football, I think that is extremely indicative in and of itself. Well said. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and speaking of well said, uh, Padre at the Padre Peregrino blog, uh, he's got a good thing about how it's dishonest and it's a manipulation of language to, you know, uh, use the word Sadie Vicantis to describe Father Altman or, or us or, um, and, and 
are, are they going to call? Uh, let me let me give you an example. Uh, there are trads who are old enough to remember a big Latin mass activist and friend of tradition, Cardinal Alphonse Stickler. I remember mm-hmm. he had masses in Manhattan uh, back in the ni- back in the nineties. You know, back in the day, and he was a professor of canon law. Uh, and in fact, he was the official archivist and librarian of the church. And in the early 70s, uh, in an academic dispute, um, he said the following. And, uh, uh, and after I read the quote, are they going to label Cardinal Stickler a, um, a sedi vacantist? He says, the Pope stands for the church, which has never erred, which cannot err in questions that involve eternal spiritual salvation. Therefore, the Pope is the absolute and consequently implicitly infallible guarantor of the truth which one who wishes to be Catholic must profess. If the Pope really errs in matters already defined, he is no longer Pope and therefore does not compromise and cannot compromise papal infallibility. Dismount soapbox. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to what I said about, mark my words, they're going to go after Catherine of Siena. If they'll go after St. Catherine of Siena, Cardinal Stickler doesn't have a chance. Oh, they, they'd shred him in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. So when what they'll call him what they'll, and what they would say right now is that that is papolatry. Now understand what that word papolatry is. It's a it's a combination of pope, papacy, and idolatry. Idolatry is a mortal sin against the first commandment. So what Tradding's new, you know, less than a decade old position is now is that if you hold the Petrine Sea to be as it is defined infallible <laughs> the the vicariate of christ on earth um you know just read pastor Eternus and vatican and vatican one what does it say about the papacy if you hold any of that to be true and you hold the papacy in any esteem whatsoever then you are engaging in a mortal sin of idolatry against the first commandment and they, oh, they'd shred Cardinal Stickler. They would absolutely shred him, say he's a papolitor. He's a papolitor. Well, good, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I mean, these people just keep painting themselves into these corners. And I guess I can understand why they're frightened and they would lash out. I mean, if I had painted myself into that kind of a corner, the only, the only way you when you paint yourself into a corner like that to get out of it is to just walk out of it and accept the fact that, you know, you're going to you're going to get your prefer your proverbial shoes dirty, but you have to walk out of it and you're going to have to clean up the mess that was made by you having to walk out of it. There's no way to get out of a painted in corner without making a mess. And but that's just that's what human life is. And frankly, that is what the confessional is for. You, we, we do do these things. We do paint ourselves into corners. We have to get ourselves out of them, and we have to walk from the corner with our with our shoes covered in paint, and we have to walk straight to the nearest confessional and clean it up. This business of refusing to clean up messes, this is why we're in the position that we're in right now. This is why we're in trouble. 
And the longer it goes, and this whole kick the can down the road, and just wait for him to die, and all of this, every day that goes by that you wait, and you don't do anything, in this, in this completely unmanful tactical pose that they have, just don't do anything. It'll fix itself. No, it won't. It just gets worse and worse and worse. The best thing anybody can do is just step out of that painted in corner, walk through the wet paint and walk right to the confessional. And then let's get about, let's get about the business of cleaning this up. Well, the hopeful thing, and Dr. Matza mentioned it, that coming out of this whole ordeal with um, the Vigano speech and not being shown at the CIC was at the end, Michael Matt did open it up to say, hey, this, it was only a matter of the venue that he had an issue with. So he was going to review the transcript, look at the video, and, you know, the remnant would be a more appropriate place for something like this. So you've both been published by the remnant, I believe, and I would take that up as a call to arms. Well, yeah, actually, no, they've never actually published me, but uh, I'm going to submit something now. <laughs> He's sort of inviting it. Well, I suppose I could submit something too. I'm almost certain that it would be that it would be rejected without even I doubt he would even respond or if I got a respond it would be sorry, no or something like that. But um yeah, I wrote I wrote for the remnant. I wrote multiple pieces for them in 2015 and 2016. In fact, some of my most famous essays, my my very famous essay titled Go Clean Up the Kitchen, You Stupid Stupid Woman was originally posted in The Remnant and it was one of the highest positive feedback pieces and commented on pieces that they they ever ran. Um I had I had fun writing for The Remnant, but well, write down you know, go look I, at the, the last minute of that Remnant video just because say again Go look at the last minute of Michael Matt's video and write down what he said and use his words <laughs> when you're okay. when you're submitting. <laughs> or or I'm recording I'm recording the part three video. Maybe I'll I'll send him and say we could do a co-launch if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of launching, so uh, tomorrow the synod is launching on the feast of poor Saint Francis of Assisi who has been yeah. used and abused by these, uh, well, you would expect that from their ilk. But, uh, Indeed. but uh, yeah. I wanted to raise a parallel between the, the guys on the right at Trad Inc. and then the guys on the left from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, they've both got this mantra of unity. Everything is about unity, right? So on the right, if you're not with the unity, you're a hypo... hypo, hypo Hyper papalist, uh, hyper uber <laughs> ultra <-montanist. laughs> <laughs> and it's like super califragilistic expialidocious. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah, we can do this. Su super califragilistic, uh, <laughs> uber ultra <-montanist. laughs> We can we can squeeze it in there somehow. <laughs> we have to record a, a video. We have anyway. Uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. at the end of your at the end of your video, you could have the credits going down the screen and this you know, supercalifragilistic, hyperpapalistic one going in the background. <laughs> anyway, um, well, as long as I can be Mary Poppins, Dr. Matza, <laughs> you can be uh, Dick, the Dick Van Dyke character, and Mark, you can be, you can be the penguins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, on the left, 
you know, if you go against the unity, we all have to be in unity. You're you're rigid. You're Pelagian, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to. So, all right. I, I don't know how to phrase this. So I'll just throw this out. So, in Luke chapter thirty-two, excuse me, Luke twenty-two, verse thirty-one, our Lord says to the first pope, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I mm-hmm. have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So we know that from the get-go, Satan has been trying to destroy the papacy. Now, mm-hmm. uh, this is more than a rhetorical question here. How should the devil go about destroying the papacy? What, what, what say you guys? Well, this is working. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's unpack what this is. So, I would argue, and and I argue this in my book, and and I might actually have uh, this published in in an outlet that uh, I don't want to say it ahead of time because then I don't want to put the kibosh on it. But anyway, in my book and in this possible article, uh, I, I argue that... This synod on synodality has as its main goal, it, not so much the sodomy, not so much the, the deaconettes, but it's the destruction of the papacy and therefore the destruction of the church. Yeah. Um, and the roots of this go back to Vatican II. I'm sorry to, to have to point that out. Um, and uh, I could get real technical here, but I will try to avoid doing that. But in a nutshell... One of the main things of Vatican II, and I've said this before, maybe even on this program, it's not so much the ecumenical outreach to Protestants and Jews and Muslims. It's it's not even as as terrible as it is, you know, beginning to tinker in the Vatican docu- in the Vatican II documents with with the liturgy, and then of course mm-hmm. it went completely nuts with the with the Concilium afterwards. But um, right. uh, it's collegiality a term that was mm-hmm. never used before, collegiality, mm-hmm. which for, for all practical purposes is a, a, a synonymous with synodality. Mm-hmm. And what, what they smuggled in to the Vatican II documents, and it forced Paul VI, of all people, to have to write a, a note that was attached to the documents of Vatican II to clarify. But what they smuggled in there is that because the bishops, according to Vatican II, uh, receive their, a certain amount of their power directly from God in the sacrament, that therefore being made a bishop is actually an extension of ordination. Um, I could get complicated on this, but I, I probably shouldn't. But that wasn't always how the church viewed it. Okay. Um, and now, w- w- what they did with that was, is they tried to say that, well, it's not that bishops get their power from a, d- a grant of power given them by the Pope, uh, like their jurisdiction, for example, but these, you know, these uh, progressives at the council, and I'm sorry to say it includes Rahner and Ratzinger and others. Yeah. What, yep. they, what they successfully got into the council is that um, we recognize the, basically the ordination of a bishop is, is something that's sacramental, and therefore 
the power of a bishop doesn't uh, basically come from a grant of jurisdiction from the Pope. And what they did, building on top of that, was they tried to say that now you're a member of the College of, they, 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 again, a, a term that was rarely used before, the College of Bishops. And what they said was, is that now that you, once you get ordained a bishop, uh, or uh, that's even the wrong word to use, right? What's the, consecrated, consecrated a bishop. Consecrated. Now mm -hmm. that you're consecrated a bishop, which they claim is an extension of the sacrament of ordination, now you're, um, you're a member of the College of Cardinal, uh, you're a, not the College of Cardinals, you're a member of the Apostolic College or the College of Bishops, even before, po uh, you know, the Pope makes you the Bishop of Albuquerque or whatever, okay? And by virtue mm -hmm. of that, they're trying to argue that Vatican II has given us this new understanding of the role of bishops, and bishops, when they congregate with bishops, constitute, uh, it, in other words, and, and even Ratzinger himself said this, we no longer have one central point, the papacy, which, ha which has ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. Now we have two mm -hmm. points. We have... We have the Pope by himself, and then we have the Pope at, with the college, uh, w with the uh, uh, Apostolic College or the College of Bishops. Uh, and this was a, a, a way of speaking that n nobody had really used before. And so Paul VI had to write, it's called the Nota Expliciva. I can't get the right Latin in front of my eyes right now, but um, he wrote this note trying to say, well, this doesn't really change anything about traditional doctrine. But all it was was like a comp even that was ambiguous. His note, which was supposed to clarify the ambiguity in Lumen Gentium, led to more ambiguity. And so yeah. now, you, <laughs> what we have in the church is we have these bishops' conferences, we have the, the, these bishops' synods, and even though yeah. you and I know, as, as good traditional Catholics, that these synods have no more authority than whatever authority the Pope wants to give it. Right, which is why he releases a document after these things happen, like in the unfortunate case of Amoris Laetitia being issued uh, six months after the uh, end of the so-called Synod on the Family, right? Um, well, thank God Bergoglio isn't the Pope, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, right, exactly. But yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Yeah. Traditionally, yeah, that, exactly. that, that's what goes on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, now what they're trying to say, and let me just give a practical example from a, uh, a scholar... Uh, Oh, uh, I, I'm going to miss the whole point if I don't, if I don't say this. So un, uh, even though that's their intention to destroy the uh, supreme authority of the Bishop of Rome, of the Vicar of Christ, and turn it into this collegial thing, their excuse for approaching it this way is to say, well, in order to have unity with our separated Eastern brothers, to breathe with both lungs, as it were, uh, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll never have unity, uh, ecumenical unity, if we don't get away from this juridical, uh, law-based yeah. approach of this one man who has all the authority in the church, because the Orthodox will never come back to the fold that way, or we'll never come back to them, and that's a lot how, how these guys look at it. Let me just <coughs> read Shades a, a short... Shades of the Miller Dissertation. <laughs> Shades of the Miller Dissertation. Precisely. Yes. So let me read to you a paragraph that <coughs> could come straight out of the uh, Miller Dissertation from one of these ecumenical scholars. Um, the above thesis of... So 
what they try to push, and it's Casper who pushed this, mm-hmm. is the idea that the local church precedes the universal church. And really, the Catholic Church is sort of the summation of all the local churches under their bishops. Yeah. Um, and Ratzinger, for years, and then even after he became Pope Benedict, fought against that, even though he wasn't completely kosher himself, I'm sorry to say. He tried mm-hmm. to say, no, no, the universal church is primary, and the local church is secondary. But anyway, mm-hmm. now they've got this new thesis that it's simultaneous. So this author says... The above thesis of simultaneity makes it possible and even demands that in the Catholic ecclesiological paradigm, uh, the cornerstone be no longer the exclusively the jurisdictional primacy, meaning of the Pope. The Petrine function should be interpreted in the framework of the doctrine of communion instead. Now, the guy who's saying this is one of these communio guys. Uh, and they're not mm-hmm. just Germans. They're Italians, they're Spaniards. And for those that don't know what communio is, it was a, a journal that was founded by Ratzinger uh, after he broke away from the more um, radical concilium, was it? I believe was the name of the journal. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure if Rahner came along with him or if Rahner stuck with concilium. But anyway, long story short. I don't think so. I think that was the yeah. split with Rahner. Okay. Um, and so uh, these, these guys are still writing. I mean, they're still publishing articles. They're still having conferences. It's been 40 years, over 40 years since the Miller dissertation. And what this guy says here is that in this context, it is easier to understand the proposition according to which the goal of ecumenical dialogue would no longer be the full recognition of the universal jurisdiction of the Pope by the Orthodox in terms of purely juridical categories, but moving away from this vision and approximating to the idiom of communion, the finding of new horizons of ecclesiological understanding to elucidate the theological relationship between primacy and the episcopate. Um, and then in, in the rest of the article, he, he quotes Bergoglio about how we need the synodal church. And, and, one, and again, one of the reasons they're pushing this synodal church is under the guise of unity, right? This is what we have to mm-hmm. do, or otherwise the church will never be whole again with the Eastern Orthodox in particular. But really, it's a way of empowering the German Bishops' Conference to do whatever the hell they want, to <laughs> empower the U- U- uh, USCCB to do whatever it wants, uh, and it's a way of destroying the papacy, which is something that uh, Malachi Martin predicted decades ago in his writings that this was what they wanted to do. Absolutely. It's like it's like concentric rings that have just been going out and out and out. You first you start with with throwing it out to just the bishops. And then, you know, Catholics can kind of squint and tilt their head and say, "Well, I I I guess that doesn't sound completely illegitimate, but then you just keep expanding it and expanding it and expanding it, and easily inside of a century, here we are now, where we have you know twenty-two-year-old female Protestant lesbians who are voting members of of this so-called synod that they're getting ready to convoke. You you just open it up and keep expanding and expanding and expanding in the name of 
let's let's face it what's what's the buzzword that's going on in the secular world today with regard to ukraine and all of this stuff we have to defend the democracy we talked about this on the last episode democracy 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 in the church it's two things it's unity but what's the other buzzword which also happens to be the uh the key buzzword of global freemasonry fraternity human fraternity it's all of the same piece. It's all the same concept. So look how fast it's gone. Look at how fast the slippery slope is gone. You start with kicking it out and saying, well, the Pope, well, whatever, but he has, he has to be, you know, in, on an equal level or maybe, maybe even slightly subordinated to the, the College of Bishops. And the next thing you know, you've got, you've got, people who are outside of the church, you've got, you know, 22 year old lay women who are confessing uh, 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 advocates of sodomy, <laughs> and you've got these people as voting, you've got James Martin voting at, at a synod. It's just, it's abject madness. I don't know if they have any actual non-Christians. Do they, do they have any Musloids at this thing that are like voting members or any Jews or Hindus or anything like that? Don't in think the, that they In the they early stages, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't think that they wouldn't do that. It's, it's, you have to get it to where it's just the absolute mob. And then they're going to come back and we'll say, it's the census fidelium. You have to listen to the voice of the people because my democracy and, and fraternity and unity and everybody just stands there slack jawed and says, at, at best they say, yeah, that's right. Because rah, rah, USA, you know, Lee Greenwood singing in the background and, and the whole nine yards, democracy is good. And, um, and the next thing you know, you've th this, like I said, this is your Vatican three, this is your, your takeover revolution. And it's basically the end. To prove a point, here, here's something from America magazine. Uh, it's a quote from Car named. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinal Mario Grec, who's the Secretary General. Oh, the Maltese. Yes. In our country, Malta, we have a large community of Muslims, but a group of them call themselves Christ. Whatever that means, in scare quotes. And so okay. the conference invited them to participate. They admire Jesus so much that although they are Muslims, they have this interest in Jesus. So what should keep us from listening to them as well? Yeah, yeah. This was during the listening yep. phase, right, of this uh, mm -hmm. synod on sin, on sodomy. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just, uh, anyway, uh, Satan has been trying to destroy the church from the beginning, uh, and our Lord said he Lord told Peter, I have prayed for you because he wants to sift you as wheat. Um, and in the, in the second part of that statement, or was it the first part? Uh, when our, our Lord actually uses the, the plural. Part. Uh, he uses yes. the plural. The uh, you switches from you singular to you plural, which means that it carries forward through time, which is something that, of course, all Protestants who are, you know, anti-Catholic, anti-papacy, et cetera, et cetera, um, they just... If they don't know because they can't read, they can't read Greek, and um, and some of them can read Greek, and then they just 
glaze over things like that. It's like the example in John chapter six, when our, when our Lord is giving the Eucharistic discourse and he, he repeats himself 14 times, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then the verb changes from eat to, to chew or gnaw. And Protestants say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. He's just speaking symbolically. Really, when the verb switches to chew slash gnaw, he's speaking sp symbolically, huh? Okay, all right. And when he said to Peter, well, it, it just stopped with Peter. He was only talking to Peter. Well, look, the, the pronoun there goes from singular to plural. <laughs> oh, but the only, the only Bible that counts is the, is the King James or whatever. So a lot, sadly, a lot of Protestants think that the Bible was written in English. So it's, uh, it's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, it wasn't written by, <coughs> it wasn't written by King James. No, no, it was not written by King James, in fact. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, and the last thing... What I'm else sorry, do Mark. we have on the... I was just going to say that I wanted to comment on the whole uh, idea from Vatican II that the bishops get their power directly from God and not from the Pope. They get their jurisdiction from the Pope. And the notion of the bishops uh, collectively collegially having uh, power that rivals the Pope when they come together, that uh, there's nothing new under the sun. This is, a, this is an ancient heresy that was um, actually ratified by a valid council, the Council of Constance back in the early 15th century. And it wasn't put down uh, and reversed for, I don't think really definitively until Trent. Uh, so the Council of Constance taught, and we actually have the documents, that uh, basically conciliarism can not only be equal to the power of the primacy, but in certain cases can be a higher power than papal supremacy. So these are all old ideas that, uh, mm -hmm. again, I use, I use the Council of Constance against the SETIs because that's a valid council that taught inaccurate doctrine that was that later had to be reversed it was a failed council as vatican mm -hmm. ii is a failed council that will need to be fixed at some point in the future yep constance vatican ii lateran five i think there's two other ones it's very simple it's no big deal you know it was validly convoked and it failed it just it was a non-starter and Again, the, the longer you let things go, the worse and worse and worse they get. But then at the same time, the solution to all of these questions is really very, very simple. All you have to do is say it. Just say it. The word. Let, let the lion loose. The, the truth is like a lion. Let it loose and it will take care of itself. And remember that the truth is our Lord himself. So doubting in his power and doubting in his potency and doubting in his ability um, as, as the word, as the logos, is um, a, very, a very questionable platform upon which to stand if you're going to be a confessing Catholic. Amen. And, Amen. and just to put the, uh, the cherry on top of this, not only is synodality uh, responsible for giving us, um, well, the synod on synodality and uh, what Bergoglio is pushing here, but in a weird way, it's actually the same principle is what gave us um, uh, the Ratzinger resignation, not resignation. Um, and I'll, I'll read a quick quote here and explain what I mean. Synodal so, papacy. 
yeah, this is this is a quote mm -hmm. from the same guy I was just reading before. Which, again, this this could have this could have come straight out of the Miller dissertation. Mediev medieval doctrine not only differentiated but possessed full separation of the following two realities: only power of order derives from episcopal ordination, whereas the source of all forms of jurisdiction is exclusively the papal office. Now, in consequence of this uh, starting point, jurisdictional power assumed a one-sided vertical character in the medieval ecclesiological model. What he's saying is that the Pope was the head of the church and had all the authority uh, in terms of jurisdiction, which Vatican I affirmed, by the way. And then he continues, um, this deviation would be corrected only in the second half of the 20th century, thanks to the recognition, wait for it, that ecclesiastical power is in its entirety of sacramental origin. Now, if that's what you believe, that uh, ecclesiastical power in the church is entirely of sacramental origin, well, what about the papacy? And that's what Ratzinger believes about, believed about the papacy, that it's of sacramental origin and therefore you can never really lose it, can you? Yeah. The always is always, the always is also a forever. Sorry, the plain sense of the words is the plain sense of the words. That's, that's what he believed. Well, the other uh, thing that I wanted to mention about there's nothing new under the sun is the, the notions, the, the two primary notions that are, you know, the center point of the uh, synod, or at least I think this is true without getting into the, to the specific details. Uh, the two ideas are that you can be your own judge and that the commandments are merely ideals. Yeah. And people fall short. And uh, since they fall short uh, habitually, we need to approve that behavior. Yeah. It's, the, it's the compassionate thing to do. Both of those ideas... And my post tomorrow is a repost of something that I did in 2016, right after Amoris Laetitia came out. Uh, well, not something that I did. I simply cut and pasted the canons from the sixth session of the Council of Trent, which specifically condemns those two ideas. You can't be yeah. your own judge. You won't be your own judge. And the commandments are not merely ideals. They are the key to living the Christian life. And while we might fall, that the commandments are still the expectation. And if people are going to live their lives in a way that is contrary to that, that in no way can be condoned. Yep. And it's to say that to say that it's impossible to um, live up to the quote unquote ideals, which are the commandments, which are which are the law. Um, is a denial of the economy of grace, which is very, very common today. Um, like, well, come on, nobody actually believes that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and it should make the hair on everyone's arms stand up, is that every single one of us has available to us the grace to be able to follow the commandments and the law. And it's 
the failure is 100% on our part. We don't avail ourselves of it. We don't, you know, we don't follow it. In fact, we reject it at times. Um, we, we, ref we refuse to engage it. So however you want to think about it or phrase it. And there's a, there's a massive temptation in this day and age to just deny the economy of grace in total that in the, and this, you, know, you want to circle, you want to go down a completely separate tangent and rabbit hole, let us not, but I'll just drop this bomb here. I think that the, the theory of evolution has had a lot to do with, um, with that and poisoning humanity into believing that we're just animals, you know, and that, w and that we don't have control over ourselves and that we are lower than we are. And of course, a, a, like I said, a negation of the entire existence of the economy of grace, which is, an ex which is something that is exclusive to us as human beings, as rational intellects, as rational animals. Well, it gets down to the very word evolution. Yeah. It, it, it connotes that human nature can change, does it not? Exactly. Human nature can exactly. change and the church has to change with it over time and adjust to the cultural norms and whatever's going on in the latter day, because obviously we're evolving individuals and that's a lie. Yeah. I mean, most people today believe that there was a progression and at some point that is, un that is unknown and unknowable, monkeys became, uh, became human beings and and somehow, either slowly or all at once, I, I don't even know what these people are thinking, that somehow monkeys, irrational, irrational animals, without the capacity to love, who have no participation in the economy of grace, at some point, they gradually became rational and gradually gained participation in the economy of grace? Or maybe there, some of them believe that there was a line and uh, a baby monkey was born, but it wasn't a monkey, it was a human. And it's, it's absolutely astounding to me how many people not only entertain that as even being possible, but believe that it's true. Well, that would be a denial of the Immaculate Conception. Exactly. Ma Mary is not oh, exactly. an Immaculate Conception, she is the Immaculate Conception. Well, it's a denial of original sin. It's a denial of, you know, okay, so that monkey didn't have a rational soul, but the baby monkey does have a rational soul. So that's not a monkey anymore. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Man. Again, and if, as, as we know, couldn't make up. If, yeah. if, if, if you don't understand that the denial of original sin completely demolishes the entire faith, I mean, didn't we see yep. it in a a video interview who was it with was it cardinal pell it was pell yes. it, it yeah. was pell he with, was debating uh, dawkins, uh, right? richard dawkins yeah 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 if you Ugh. give an inch on original sin the entire faith is a lie yep cardinal pell denied under under questioning from dawkins in a in a um in a debate that there were any such actual historical people as Adam and Eve. And then that just, and then Dawkins had him and it was just pound, 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 pound. And Pell just sat there, you know, slack jawed, basically. It was, it was not good at all. Well, speaking of pounding, did you know that Darwin 
liked to just like pound uh, animals, small animals, cut them open. Uh, there was, I, I think it was, um, I saw it on, on, on YouTube, uh, somebody was basically demolishing Darwin as this, you know, enlightened philanthropist of humanity and benefactor. Um, when, I, when he was on one of those journeys, I don't know if it was on the Beagle, but he, he, uh, he complained about the fact that when there was a, a mutiny among the natives, that he didn't have the opportunity to, to, to shoot them. Uh, so he yeah. was also racist, by the way. Oh, he was wildly racist. Yeah, yeah. So do you, is it that he was engaging in like animal torture? Is that what you were saying or? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's yeah. there in the, in the records of people that knew him and described his actions. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised at all, not yeah. even slightly. Yep. So he was Fauci before Fauci. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. History rhymes, doesn't it? All right, what else do we have on our on our agenda? Dr. Matza, is there anything else? Oh, I guess we should leave the folks with a word of hope. You first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if, if necessary, I shall. Uh, well, today is the feast of St. Therese, uh, who offer, gives us the example of the, the little way. And, and mm -hmm. uh, like our Lord said, unless you become as, as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, she, you know, she didn't give talks at conferences or do, uh, she didn't, you know, write dissertations. But uh, she's the patron, patroness of missionaries, even though she never left the, the cloister. Uh, and it's because of her deep love for our Lord and just doing everything out of love for him, whether it's picking up a pen or scrubbing the floor. If we're going to defeat modernism, it's going to be through the example of St. Therese and her intercession and the example of Our Lady, the destroyer of all, of all heresies. Um, also, we have the, the Feast of uh, the Rosary coming up on Sunday, uh, Saturday, first, sat first Saturday, uh, mm -hmm, anniversary mm -hmm. of the Christian victory at Lepanto. So this is a time to go to confession, to you know, to, to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary and to, to receive communion and to fulfill the, the, the first five Saturdays. And um, we, have to, uh, we have to stop sinning to the extent that, we, with the help of God's grace, uh, because that is what's, it's sin that is bringing down God's punishment. And uh, we're, 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 we're going to get it <laughs> pretty soon if, if this yeah. synod goes the way <laughs> that it's predicted to go here. And so we, we do need generous souls who will pray and sacrifice, as Our Lady asked at La Salette, at, at Lourdes, at, at Fatima. Uh, and so uh, only Mary can help us in this situation. And we must resist the temptation to engage in relativism, which is, you know, one of the brilliant things and, and uh, ideas that Pope Benedict actually did bring forth. In fact, his uh, dictatorship of relativism um, homily at JP2's funeral, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, um, really, really touched a lot of people. And it was, it was an incredibly powerful homily. We must not permit ourselves to fall into any sort of sense of relativism. Well, you know, at least I'm not Tucho Fernandez. Well, at least I'm not James Martin. At least I'm not da 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 No, it, it's, it starts at home. It starts right with ourselves, right in the mirror. 
And that's why we stay close to the sacrament of confession. Amen. Amen. And just going back to something Anne touched on earlier, when you are at that moment of worst temptation, you have to always remember two things. First of all, the temptation is not sin. The temptation most of the time you have no control over. So how can it possibly be sin? It's only if you assent to it that it becomes mm -hmm. a sin. So know that every temptation, which is a form of suffering, every temptation is an opportunity not to sin. And that's what God intends you to do with it. And he's always supplying enough grace for you to make the right decision. There is never a temptation in your life that you are not being adequately supplied the grace to resist. That's right. But having said that, you don't go chasing it. You don't go wallowing in temptation because that's a sin against prudence. So, of course. you know, the, the saints say flee temptation, but it's still going to come. I mean, you're, you're, it, you're going to encounter it living in this world. And so, yes, it's every time it's an opportunity, just exactly like this situation is an opportunity. This, this situation, people could be making choices and doing things to become absolutely Im amazing saints. I mean, it could be that hundreds of years from now, assuming that, you know, the, the, big, the big show doesn't come and that the earth is still spinning hundreds of years from now, that people will be talking about uh, people who are on the ground today, both in the church and laity, as the great saints of this age, just exactly like we, when you go on vacation to Rome and you're walking around and, well, there's St. Charles Borromeo and there's St. Philip Neri and there's, you know, St. Francis of Rome and there's St. There's Clement. And, you know, then you're just surrounded with all these people. These are real people, real lives who lived real lives on the ground. There should be saints like that around right now today. And maybe hundreds of years from now, there will be there will be beautiful churches built and there will be people who are alive walking around today, both clerics, prelates and laity, exactly as throughout all of history, who are who are great saints. And I mean, you know, Cardinal so-and-so could, could have a absolutely gorgeous church erected to his honor, and there he is right under the high altar, and you can go see him, and you know, all of this thing. It, I think people kind of get detached, say, well, none of that applies to any of us. It's exactly the opposite. We're being given the opportunity on a platter of, of the two millennia of the history of the church we should be striving and we should be encouraging others to strive to you know aim high have some goals in this thing yes i mean absolutely the 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 goal is to get through your particular judgment and get through purgatory and get into the beatific vision yes absolutely but why shouldn't why shouldn't people have the big goals why should be people saying well there's nothing i can do there's nothing i can do where would we be if bernard of clairvaux said that that flies right in the face of today's patron uh, her little way, she's the patron of missionaries. She never went outside of France, as far as I know, maybe to Rome, but she didn't go to the missionary lands across the seas. And you mentioned that maybe we have some tremendous saints today. I think she's an example of the tremendous saints that we have today that we'll never know about. And that God had to mm. pick, had to make us aware of some of these magnificent souls whose prayer and sacrifice 
achieve so much. I've, I've quoted the line from the priest that if, if judgment doesn't come on this country soon, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. There Amen. are some, yep. there are some um, tremendous saints offering prayer and sacrifice that that judgment is being held back for the benefit of people to convert and save their souls. Yeah. Those saints are yeah. here now. And yes, their, their, their prayers are going to enable the restoration of the church at some point. You talked about the, the mm-hmm. great basilica to some cardinal, uh, possibly in the future, somebody who may or may not be walking around right now. That will be possible through the communion of saints and these tremendous souls who are the, the, the nuclear artillery of the church militant. And it, it's mm-hmm. one of the biggest uh, crimes since Vatican II that the contemplative orders have all been shut down. Uh, any any, any, any yep. frontline infantry unit knows that without fire support, you're pretty much a sitting duck. And that's yep. pretty much what the church has been turned into at this point. Well, especially the last 10 years. Yeah, the savage attacks. And, you know, Mark, you can kind of speak to this, I think, because you're you're originally from around Philly. And, and I mean, the savage, savage attacks that the Bergoglian anti-church is waging upon contemplatives and most especially uh, most especially contemplative nuns it's just like you would you looking at it from the outside i'm sure secular non-churchy observers would look at this from the outside and say why why are they obsessed with this why are they wasting their time on these communities with you know relatively speaking just just a relatively small number of people because they're luciferians and they know they know perfectly well what super nerd just said is true that they're the ones who are who are holding it all together and yeah every day when the sun comes up it's another opportunity for everyone to to advance in sanctity do the virtuous good and hopefully move closer to to the triune godhead in the beatific vision I mean, that's that's you can basically break every day of your life down into one of three categories did you advance in sanctity and move yourself up in the beatific vision assuming you make it did you just stay sideways you treaded water that day or heaven forfend that you went backwards that day and on the days that you go backwards you know it you know you went backwards and then you have you have to get into the confessional and then you scramble you start scrambling your way back up again every single day when the sun comes up the objective should be i want to advance in sanctity and get closer and closer to the triune godhead and our lady in the beatific vision and speaking of advancing in sanctity and getting closer to the beatific vision i just want to remind listeners that i in three weeks from now i am offering my course on dante's divine comedy where Dante in, uh, finds himself in a midlife crisis in sin, and uh, uh, Our Lady has actually interceded for him, and uh, he has to go through uh, a process of getting back into sanctity. And we see hell, we see purgatory, and ultimately uh, heaven. And so, it's uh, I'd like to recommend that to folks uh, to read to read together the Divine Comedy. It's it's a wonderful way of uh, seeing sin versus sanctity and what do you think dr matza 20 bucks for that setup does that sound about fair (laughs) (laughs) i'll send you an invoice (laughs) go to edmundmazza.com and uh drop drop me a line when do classes start again uh october the 24th and october the 25th um i believe the 24th is romans christians barbarians part two it's basically from the apostles 
to the Barbarians, uh, and um, the uh, 25th, we start Dante's Inferno. Okay. All right. So I'll just say Time a word about the Philly, the Philly Carmelites. What I witnessed in that yeah. ordeal uh, almost two years ago now, it wasn't just the, uh, the nastiness from Rome. It wasn't just the nastiness from the archdiocese, where I caught numerous people lying about the uh, situation. And in fact, I was forced to publish emails from the communications director for the archdiocese that directly contradicted each other. It wasn't just those factors. It was other cloistered Carmelite OCDs from another uh, diocese that were the most vicious that I had to deal with. Now they call themselves that too. Well, you know, they that 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 particular monastery, you know, they claim to be cloistered, but then they've got a website and they've got uh, different sisters that are obviously communicating with the world, which is mm -hmm. not how it's done. Yep. And the Mother Superior of the Flemington OCD Carmelites uh, went to war with me in my combox, sister. Why are you on the internet? Like, yeah. you just clearly see that things are, are so wrong. So sure enough, yeah. they destroyed the Philly Monastery. It is shuttered right now. So uh, all the sisters have gone to uh, either Valparaiso or Fairfield, and both of those places are doing uh, tremendously well. And I post about the Fairfield mm -hmm. uh, Carmel fairly often. But uh, that's the summary of that situation. I just want to re read uh, two things real quick to, to close up. The first is the colic from today's Mass of the Little Flower. Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, O Lord, who has said, Unless ye become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Grant unto us, we beseech thee, so to follow the footsteps of Blessed Therese, Virgin, in lowliness and simplicity of heart, that we may gain everlasting rewards. Amen. Second thing is the... If you don't get the Benedictus uh, hymnal, or not hymnal, uh, missile every month, I highly recommend it. Um, BenedictusMissile.org. It's $5, and it's got all sorts of meditations and, you know, all the daily readings, etc. So there's a prayer card every month that's uh, dedicated to uh, to the, the particular month. So in this case, October and uh, Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. So here's the prayer card. Hasten, O most powerful destroyer of heresy. Hasten, the hour of mercy, seeing that the hour of judgment is daily challenged by innumerable offenses. Enable me to live a just life on earth and reign with the just in heaven, which with the faithful throughout the world, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, I salute thee and cry out. Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, pray for us. Amen. Pray for us. Amen. All right. With that, Mark, I know you have to skedaddle to make it to mass on time. Super nerd, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I was going to say, normally uh, I always make some kind of snarky comment or some kind of snarky comment is like on that happy note. But no, seriously, we're, we're ending the podcast on a happy note, which is awesome. And by the way, I came up with an idea of how to do that more often. So, so I'm going to drop that from our, our first part here. Uh, the email address. Uh, for the podcast where you can send feedback or comments that address is podcast at barnhart.biz Anne expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors 
Every single day, there's a traditional Catholic mass offered for all of our benefactors. And then once every week, there is a traditional Catholic Latin Requiem mass said for everybody who died in the previous week. Please pray for the priests. If, if it's not obvious by now, uh, the institutional church is after them um, or what's about to become the anti-church. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned in the previous podcast, priests are under so much temptation, we can't even imagine it. Uh, please keep them in your prayers. We we need them. And also, don't forget our podcast patron. Uh, we call on the patronage, uh, patronage of St. Tiny Princess. Uh, that's my daughter who was born with a severe genetic condition. That was baptized and confirmed, and then was with us for about a little under a year. Uh, she's now in the beatific vision, and she can intercede for us as well. So don't forget to call on her. Um, she definitely... Ah, oh, and that reminds me, I still have that tiny testimonial I need to share. That that had to do with, um, I think I shared the story with you, actually, and, it, and I'll, we'll, we'll go into it in more detail in the next podcast, but it involved um, a, a baby who was carried the term and born under difficult circumstances, and uh, at multiple points, the, the parents were planning to abort her because, because of the complications, but uh, prayer was made to St. Tiny Princess, and the baby was born healthy. So more, more details wow. on that later. Cool. The Barnhart Podcast is a value-for-value value podcast. If you got some value out of this, whether it's entertainment, education, or just a reassurance of sanity, and you'd like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com where you can learn more about that. I don't have a list of donors uh, since the last podcast uh, because I've not gone to the mailbox yet. So um, next podcast, we'll catch up on that. And then that brings us down to Matthew seventeen twenty. Keep praying, folks. Our fourfold intention daily, um, in fact, all day, every day, and fast twice a week if you can. Um, the fourfold intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in Say, and that God's will be done and that it be filled according to his will, um, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, not not praying to hasten his death because he needs all the time he can get to repent and do penance for all of this, and that Bergoglio someday achieve the beatific vision and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger, Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Taco Mama demon, Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. And Mark, you got some parting words? Stay frosty, my friends. Awesome. And I apologize to all the listeners uh, who listened all the way through last time. And I, it slipped my mind because I was scrambling to get things ended, to get the plane landed in a way that we could walk away from it. Um, I forgot to <laughs> insist that uh, Dr. Mazza give us a Godfather reference. So hopefully he thought about it and he has something. Just, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. he comes through like a champion (laughs) fantastic (laughs) and on that note i'm super nerd and i'm am thanks guys god bless Thus, we see that the universal acceptance argument does not withstand the test of history.